The O3C Podcast is a proud member of the HyperX Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to another episode of the O3C Podcast. My name is Jonathan Dunn and I am joined by my friend Chris Dow. Oh boy. <laughs> and we are trying to find our voice and chatting about video games. Announcement! Announcement! This week's rally cry is to share the podcast on your social media platforms, please. Share a link to your favourite episode, the latest episode, our website, one of our videos, one of our articles. Share it on social media. Tag a friend who you think would like to listen to the show. Tag us as well and we'll give you a big old like and a share too. If this type of reciprocal relationship is what you're after, then you can also pop over to our Patreon page, patreon.com slash O3C Games. In exchange for pledging some monetary support to us from as little as £1 a week, you will then receive a whole bunch of bonus content from us, such as full bonus episodes, exclusive deleted scenes and outtakes, bonus video content, including video counterparts to these episodes which are uncut and ad-free, and will also welcome you into the hallowed halls of our Discord server, where you can hang out with us and a bunch of other excellent people. Game on. If you're a shrewd shopper, it's about to be your favourite time of the year. HyperX will be running massive sales for the holiday season. Get up to 50% off some of our most popular products, like the Ultra Comfy Cloud 2 headset, the tough, responsive Alloy Origins mechanical keyboard, and the fan-favorite Quadcast USB microphone. Sales will be going on at all major e-tailers, but be sure to head to HyperX.com and sign up for the newsletter to get the scoop on the biggest deals. Happy holidays from HyperX. So, uh, we're back. It's another week. We had a we had a lovely play date last week, didn't we, Chris? Didn't oh, we? it was very, very tasteful. Well, it wasn't, it wasn't. It was a mixed bag last week. Uh, it was uh, It was a shame to discuss Lost Your Marbles, but then Pick Pack Pup was fantastic. Bloom was fantastic. And the nine other side-loaded games that I'd uh, rampaged my way through across Europe uh, were also <laughs> interesting to talk about. But this week, we are reporting back on our latest Fortnite challenge. Uh, yes. Two weeks ago, I set Chris the task to play a fantastic little indie game called Mo Astray. And I'm very excited to hear how you got on with that. Chris gave me a choice of playing a 3D platformer collectathonish type game called Poi, or a 3D platformer collectathonish type game called Unbox. I'll be telling you uh, which of those I've chosen to play and how I've gotten on with that in a little bit. But first of all, what have we played this week? What are you buying? What are you playing? Well, I tell you what, I'm going to tell you what I've played, um, and I'm, I'm going to kick off by just throwing a little bit of lip service to Poi. Oh, didn't make the cut. <laughs> it didn't make the cut. It didn't make the cut. But I did want to touch on it uh, here just a little bit, because it also compares to another game that I have played this week uh, that's not Unbox. I will be talking about Unbox later on. But I did have a go at Poi, and it, it really made me appreciate just how finely tuned the 3D Mario games are. Oh, because yeah. Because yeah. whilst on paper, Poi does everything a 3D Mario game does, I mean, 
everything from all of the mechanics and and the way that it's structured and all of that stuff but everything just feels a bit off you know yeah, it, it, yeah. It, it's a bit sloppy it's a bit vague and i i appreciate the graphical style they're going for but between like these low poly environments and then these strangely floaty controls it, it felt just a bit more like a like a student trying to make a Mario clone <laughs> than, uh, than something yeah. I should I should take seriously in its own right. We use this joke all the time, but it's very much, we've got Mario 64 at home. It Yeah, it is. It is. And, and it's fine. Like when I played it, I bought it for the Switch when the Switch was quite new. Uh, it was in, like an early physical release. And I was like, oh, I don't know this game. And it was, I hadn't quite got as obsessed with, with collecting Switch games as, as I am now. Mm. But it was an early one to think like, oh, there's going to be stuff on this console that's kind of just a bit weird, a bit out there that's probably not going to come to other platforms. And it, it never has. There's, you know, you can buy it digitally other places, but not a physical cartridge or a CD or a DVD. Uh. So I was quite excited. And I enjoyed it for just being something different because I didn't have a massive library mm. of stuff to play. It was better than, uh, what was that snake game? Oh. Oh. Snake Pass. Snake Pass. Yeah, yeah I don't we all like bought it. it. We all, we all bought, bought it because there was no nothing else it. to play. <laughs> it was poor. That was a poor game. Oh, it's another one that you can't fault the ambition of trying something different. But you would have hoped that at some point in development, someone went, "Yes, this is different, but it's also not any fun." Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, I exactly. Genuinely hated playing it. <laughs> hateful experience hateful experience yeah it was it was miserable it was it reminded me of when mobile phones took a little bit of a leap up and snake that came bundled on a nokia all of a sudden was trying to be in 3d and it ran out about yeah. 12 frames a second and yeah. it was just like oh, oh it just felt <laughs> a bit constipated yeah, that's, that's a good description, actually. Yeah, yeah. A constipated 3D platformer. But Poi was in stark contrast to a new game that I, I picked up this week. It literally, I just read a review of it today and I bought it. It's called Lunistice. Oh, that's a mouthful. L-U-N-I-S-T-I-C-E. And it's a it's another low-poly 3D platforming affair, which is it's in the 32-bit 3d game style okay. um, fortunately with a much much higher frame rate and uh, much much tighter controls but it sees you explore a variety of floating block based stages collecting paper cranes they're just your rings or your coins that's your collectible and defeating enemies and trying to do so as quickly and as alive as you can and get from from one end to the other it's a fantastic example of a developer focusing on getting a few simple things feeling perfect because this game is is just very, very nice to play. It reminded me a bit of Blue Fire in that respect. Very fluid oh, yeah. 3D controls, which are, are necessary to navigate, you know, the increasingly complex 3D environs. But it's it's just great. It's got a great charm to it with its uh, visual style and its music as well. You've even got the option to put on a couple of filters if you really want that 32-bit style, including enforcing a 20 frames per second limit. Uh, oh, which, Jesus. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's Sega Saturn to a T, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you can whack that on. You can whack a CRT filter on. And it does, yeah, it feels like a, a PlayStation 1 game or a Saturn game. But obviously, obviously you don't play with those on because it's horrid. But it's less than a fiver as well. It's not an enormous game, but when, you know, a game's this fun and satisfying to play, you're going to get your money out of playing it and playing it and playing it until you've collect-a-thoned everything you possibly can in the game. And it, it is a bit more arcade-y than, than something like Mario or Poi. 
so there is like high scores to get and trying to you know complete the levels without dying and, and all of this sort of stuff it reminded me a bit of the game tori 3d which Ooh, i played yeah yeah I know what you mean. Uh, and that was a similarly lo-fi 3D platformer that just, just focused on making the best gameplay that they could. I don't even think your main character was even animated from what I remember. It's just, just floating around. But it proves that if you prioritise gameplay and you get that right, the game doesn't need much else to be a, a winner. So Lunast is very good. It's also quite timelyly reminded me of the uh like 3d sonic team games there, there are hint, yeah. hints of knights uh, to the tone of the game and also hints of knights in the soundtrack a little bit uh, which is quite nice and there are some of the uh on rails gotta go faster sections that are straight out of the sonic games i haven't played sonic frontiers yet i am intrigued by it but unless i can pick it up for less than a tenner or they release a demo i'll probably leave sonic on the shelf and uh and satisfy myself uh, elsewhere like with lunastis like it's less than a fiver i've put a few hours into it today i may not try and 100 percent it in terms of like trying to beat every single level without dying whilst collecting all the things but there are certain secret collectibles to get and i'm certainly going to go back through some of the levels and try and find everything and and yeah really really good game really really enjoying that I will fill you in on my experience with Unbox in a little bit. And that's, a again, a very different beast in terms of a 3D platforming game to, to even these two games. What else have I played? Uh, not much, to be honest. I've <laughs> continued... Uh, thanks for asking, though. I've continued to make... <laughs> I've continued to make progress through both Slitherlink and Bloom on my play date. Yeah. Still get excited every day to check in with Midori and Bloom, see how she's doing, grow some flowers. I have made a very brief start on God of War Ragnarok. So far, it's great. I mean, it's not reinventing the wheels in terms of developing the core gameplay beyond the previous God of War game, but it didn't need to because that game is outstanding. I'm fully expecting this game to be as fun to play and well-balanced and satisfying. And even just from the little bit I've played, it is already, you know, meaty and chunky and all of the other soup adjectives. <laughs> I really want to find a time to, to to hook my PlayStation 5 up to my OLED TV in the lounge and just have a big, proper, cinematic play of it with my, my Pulse 3D headset on. No idea when that's going to be, though. And I still haven't touched Mario and Rabbids, much to my shame, which I do really want to play. But then also know Pokemon Violet's coming out next week. Oh, wow. I'll be diving straight into that, I know, as soon as I get it. So, goodness, my, my, my stack is, is is piling high. But there we go. That's me. That's what I've played. What have you played, Chris? Oh, well, quite a bit. After a little Discord tip-off from friend of the show, Casper, I decided to finally give Arcade Paradise a go because it had been on my radar for a little while. And we've talked about mythical games that seem designed specifically for us before. Yes. But Arcade Paradise feels like it may well have been designed by a committee driven entirely by the goal of making Christopher Dow a happy boy. <laughs> like, it's it's a light management come simulation game on its surface. You've been given an old laundrette to run by your father, and the early rhythm of it all comes from a really surprisingly satisfying loop of clearing up the place, washing and drying clothes, yoinking discarded bits of gum off of surfaces, emptying the coin hopper from the little token machine. Like, it's you're just trying to maximise your daily income by doing all of these tasks in the most timely way possible. But soon after you start, you're given access to the back room of the laundrette, a sort of dank waiting area where laundrette patrons are expected to pass the time. And there's a few old coin-up arcade machines there. And the cool twist here straight away is that each game is fully playable by you as well, which will then generate more passive income over the course of the day as you complete little in-game goals. And then as time progresses, the laundrette itself becomes less and less important and your focus moves almost wholly 
to rinsing these arcade machines until basically all of your income is coming from these games. They're not real machines, but they are almost all analogs of real machines. So there's a really solid Mr. Driller clone. There's a Kicks clone. There's a Missile Command clone. There's a Buster Move clone. They're all a lot of fun. And incredibly, there's about 40 of them to unlock. Wow. So there's a lot of game. There's a lot of game to play. And the more you have, the more money you're going to earn. The more money you earn, the more you buy. And it's just really, really good. Like when, When I first started playing it, I lost almost five hours in a single sitting. <laughs> it's one of those that it's just You're like, playing I just, on your Steam Deck. I started playing on the Switch because again, I got a cheap physical copy. I was like, oh, oh you know, I'll, I'll get it for the collection. Within a few hours, I was like, I do want to keep this copy, of course, because it's going to go on the shelf, but I'm also going to rebuy it on the Steam Deck. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I bought it twice. Not that the Switch version is bad by any means, but it is smoother and nicer on Steam. Yeah. Since that initial five hour sitting, I have played it for probably an hour or two each evening. Wow. And it is remarkably addictive. Mm. Like my favorite in-game games that I've unlocked so far, there's one called Stack Overflow, which is a sort of color matching puzzle game that works a bit like an inverted magical drop. So you've got stacks of little colored boxes and you're trying to rearrange them into, you know, just a single stack of red or blue or brown or whatever. And another game called Blockchain, which is, again, a sort of dropping puzzle game where you're dropping down numbers that will only clear when they fit within a column or row that has the same height or width of the number, if that makes sense. So if you drop mm. a six, it's got to be in a row of six or a column of six to clear it. All of this stuff, like all of these games, is just gamified in such an addictive way. Mm. So early on, the laundry loads themselves are fun because, <laughs> you know, every time you chuck one out in a timely manner, you are graded like A, B, C or S for oh, the brilliant. fastest. So every time I was like, well, I need to do the best laundry I can for that extra $5 <laughs> bonus. Disposing of rubbish bags gives you a chance to make some extra cash by like slam dunking it in the center of a target. Brilliant. When you clean gum off the tables and surfaces, it's done using a little like golf game meter that you're trying to hit at the top <laughs> for, for the quickest pull. And everything feels quite tactile with these little micro rewards giving you just enough of a dopamine hit, even before the games themselves are then taking proper center stage. Mm. And then when the arcade itself has become your focus, you start being given daily challenges on top of the in-game challenges that are there anyway. So you've got game-specific things to do just generally, but then day-specific things to do as well for, for additional bonuses and money. And there's just never not something to focus on. And it's just balanced really, really well so that the main currency is starting off essentially as being your own time because you can only do so much in a day. And then eventually when you unlock a few kind of upgrades that are you know, permanent, sustained upgrades, you're then looking for just money uh, and to push your investment as far as possible to maximize these individual machines to say, okay, well, if it was slightly easier, but slightly cheaper, would I make more money per hour and stuff like that? Mm. On top of then also going for high scores on their version of like Breakout or whatever you're playing. I cannot wait to play on a lot more. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's really, really excellent. I've been really, really shocked by how much I've enjoyed it because I'd, I'd read a review. I knew roughly what it was about, but to actually play it, it hooked me within five minutes. It's one of those. And like I say, that, that first day, Georgia was out of work for kind of a long day and that's all I did. Yeah, And then when she came home, I was like, I've got this game. You just do laundry. And then she watched me as obsessed doing laundry for a further hour. So (laughs) it's really good. It's really, really good. That's brilliant. That's brilliant. Also on the Steam Deck, I have been playing Tetris Effect, officially my favorite game of all time. (laughs) Yeah. Now, firstly, this means I've now bought this game five times. (laughs) I bought it on the PS4 in a physical release at launch when it first came out. I then got the digital Switch release when I got the OLED. 
I pre-ordered, which I still haven't received, the physical release from Limited Run, which is the connected version of, of the game on both PS4 and Switch. And now I've bought it in a sale on Steam as well. I, I physically can't help myself. On the Steam Deck, Tetris Effect runs at a locked 60 frames a second. And basically it is going at the highest possible visual settings. And it looks so so good i felt like i was gonna cry for me the first time it's so so intense <laughs> and with the particle effects pushed to their maximum the screen is just so ridiculously lusciously and meticulously filled yeah that it makes me feel a bit breathless mm. like we, we we're talking probably 20 times the detail of the switch port i'd say amazing like insane absolutely insane <laughs> And when you plug it into the TV, the resolution will double up to 1080 or further if you want to try and push it. And yet it's still running at a visual quality beyond what the PlayStation 4 can manage. Incredible. And doing that with all this stuff going on, I've made Georgia play a bit of Tetris Effect before in VR. And she was you know, pretty impressed and she enjoyed it for what it was. But this version of the big TV is the first time she's really taken notice and let out an audible wow during some yeah. of the transitions. <laughs> like it is a truly ridiculous game that has gained rather than lost luster as I've moved year on year mm. away from its initial release. You know, it came out and it was a 10 out of 10. And now, you know, <laughs> I'm not going to betray maths by saying it's a number higher than that, but it's it's a very, very good game. <laughs> Lastly, in this triumvirate of very, very, very good games, I have finally stepped away from the Steam Deck, just for an afternoon at least, to play the original Bayonetta. Oh, wow. I, yeah, I'm massively late to the party, I yeah. know. And I've had a copy on my shelf for ages after I overpaid to get hold of a physical copy that was for a very <laughs> long time exclusive to a very limited Japanese special edition of Bayonetta 2. Mm. So I bought it separate to all the other contents of that set for quite a lot of money on eBay about five years ago and had just never given it a proper go. And now that I have, it's really fucking cool. <laughs> It's such a it cool is, game. Isn't it? Like I, I know I'm massively like yeah. the party, like I said, but everything from the music to the character design to the combat to the cutscenes, it's just really cool. And I've honestly spent almost my entire time with the game so far, just going yes, 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 every thirty seconds. <laughs> like <laughs> I'm sure yeah. proper action game stalwarts may well have decided the games maybe not all that or something in the ensuing years, but for me, playing for the first time as someone that generally this is not my genre. I'm a big fan. I'm having good. a lot of fun. Good. They're, re they're really good games. I mean, I haven't played the third one uh, yet. Yeah. I do plan on doing that. I mean, Platinum Games, like when they're doing that thing that they do, essentially making you just like hammer one button, doing yeah. incredible things, making you yeah. feel like you're incredible. It's such a great feeling, yeah. you know? It's, it yeah. is, it's really, really fun. I'd highly recommend playing Bayonetta 2. Uh, yeah. it, it expands. It's a better game overall. And then I would highly, highly recommend playing Astral Chain, yeah. uh, which I think is better than the Bayonetta games. Yeah. But I am definitely in the minority with, with thinking that. But I think that's <laughs> partly also why I loved it so much, because yeah. nobody else was playing it. But yeah. Oh, yeah. What a trio. Yeah. It's, it's rare, I think, for me... One, to, to play games in a week that are not like, oh, I'm playing a 50-year-old a handheld game. Uh, it, it, it was only available in Russia for two weeks. It's like, no, I'm, I'm not doing that. Like. I do. That's very much my voice. But these are, these are big <laughs> games. You know, yeah. as much as Arcade Paradise is not like a big AAA release, it's had a decent amount of press. It's kind of been out for a little while. It's on all platforms. You can get it wherever. And to play that alongside something like Tetris, that obviously is a big revered release of that game, and, and Bayonetta, which at the time, a decade ago, was, yeah. was quite well spoken for as well. Yeah, it's been great. 
What a week. What a great week. That sounds fantastic. Looking at Arcade Paradise, I really want to rewatch everything everywhere all at once. And then, oh. uh, and then play Arcade Paradise. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Talk about good stuff. Yeah. Fucking hell. <laughs> time to report back and this is exciting oh i'm gonna kick this off and i'm gonna tell you that i really like unbox oh i did well, <laughs> well I, I wouldn't have done well if you picked poi <laughs> no but no, for the one no. you went for i did well and to be fair like i said when you set me this I, I said i've got every intention of playing both of these games and i and if poi had been as good as unbox i would have played as much of it as unbox so even though i didn't have an n64 uh, I, I don't really have the same type of nostalgia for those 3D platforming collectathons of, of of that era, which were really came to the fore in you know 64 bit rare and all of that stuff. But I've I've always enjoyed this style of game. Like I, I obviously love the 3D Mario games, which are rightly the touchstone for any 3D platforming game. And a game or, or games that I I enjoyed a surprising amount were the Spyro games. Mm, um, and yeah. I mean, I didn't play them when they first came out, but I picked up the the remastered trilogy, and me and my wife played through them, uh, and they were great. And they very much had that collectathon vibe too. Yeah. After we'd done that, I bought uh, a Hat in Time because I knew that that was like a proper, just it was basically just wall to wall collectathon, like too many collectibles if anything but i thought oh we'll have a great time playing that and there's hats and that's fun but we, we ne never got around to even even starting that i've played like five minutes of it here and there and really unbox has given me what i really wanted from a hat in time for whatever reason i didn't get from that i don't really know i'm we're not talking about that now <laughs> come on uh, unboxes it. <laughs> unboxes it feels it's just pure platforming collecting collectibles there's there's not really any combat to speak of although there are hazards to avoid and there's a couple of sort of things that will attack you and there are some boss fights which seem to work despite yeah. uh, the limits of your box uh, <laughs> but the, the heart of the game is just exploring these different worlds as a cardboard box and trying to find and do everything i'd say that's 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 a fair that's yeah, a fair analysis yeah. right there. Yeah. It almost feels like an open world ball rolling game. Like oh, the, yeah, sort of the, yeah. the, the anomalous shape of your playable character is just as basic as something like Glyph. And all you're doing is moving this shape around a world. Now, the central unboxing mechanic that exists here is basically just six double jumps. Yeah. You get a little stock of double jumps, essentially. You do have to restore these. Otherwise, um, you know, you could just keep going forever and there'd be no point in just having six and you can restore your jumps by finding little collectibles or by revisiting uh, checkpoints and they'll restock you but basically i mean you can just jump and keep jumping and keep jumping and fly through the air get momentum jump again in the air again and again and again it just means you've just got this like enormous amount of freedom to travel around and then, like these checkpoints uh, are everywhere warp points are everywhere picking up little bonus unboxes they respawn so it's just you know the game just makes it just really nice and straightforward to just explore and it's just such a delight to do that there's so much whimsy in the design it's bold and bright and colorful and there's lots of just funny things around it plays very very well on the steam deck i will say this. Yeah. it looks lovely really nice i mean it's amazing 
how nice a cardboard box can look. <laughs> it's always just quite funny that you're a cardboard box as well. Like, if you forget that you're a cardboard box, uh, you do have the constant reminder of your hard edges as you roll around, which makes things just a little bit more challenging than they need to be and keep you on your toes because you can't just roll straight down a thing. You, you'll be sort of yeah. catching your edge here and there and here and there. But no, it's never annoying, you know. It's, it's always kind of funny and charming. There's plenty of puzzle-type elements in the in the game as well. Lots of things to solve and collectibles behind timed doors and traps and all kinds of things. Loads of secret areas. Little, oh, just everything. It's just, like I said, it's just it, the game just wants you to explore it and it really rewards you for that. It's got little things everywhere. Each of the worlds that there are, there are 12 central kind of missions in each of them to find stamps. Basically, they're your stars or your shines uh, from like, you know, the Mario games. Yeah. And these have got a nice variety to them as well. They could be like a little mini collectathon where it's like, oh, I've lost six um, snorkels. Go and get them. Uh, <laughs> and then you do that and then you get a stamp. Or it could be like, um, oh, I need to deliver this. And, and it's on the other side of the island and, and you can't jump. There's loads of variety and there's never anything too demanding that really, really taxes your brain either. It's just a very comforting experience. You yeah. can really tell that the developers really value the player yeah. by the fact that they're not trying to catch you out. They're not going, huh, that'd be annoying if I didn't put that there. They'd be like, oh no, just put it there. Just put it there. They, they'll need it. They'll probably need it. And then they'll, they'll be more likely to play the next bit if they haven't quit in a half. <laughs> and, you know, that sort of level of care and attention is, is everywhere. And once I made a start on the game... I did message you and said, have you sent me this game to see what the limits of my OCD are? <laughs> uh, because, because the game is just about getting everything. Yeah. And, you know, there are hundreds and thousands of collectibles across the entire game. And it is alarming how much I get sucked in by this type of game. Yeah. And I found myself really resisting moving to the next world. If I unlocked it, then I'd be like, no, I, I need to get everything in this area that I'm in first before I move on. And I'd while away just hours just searching for one more collectible. I was able to, you know, eventually draw a line under the areas, move on. But certainly with the intention of going back and finding everything at some point. But I will say this, that it was never a painful or stressful compulsion to do this. Yeah. Because, like I said, it just felt really therapeutic. It's just a really nice game. I really enjoyed it. Big thumbs up for Unbox. Really, really nice. Thank you. I'm very, very happy. Keep poise yourself. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I have every intention of leaving it on my Steam Deck and dipping in and out and keeping on going. And, and I know I'm just going to really enjoy just chipping away at it bit by bit by bit by bit and hopefully get to 100 percent at some point but yeah lovely i think it's nice when a game like unbox comes along that obviously there is a gimmick in that oh you're a box but sometimes the gimmick is as far as a game goes to actually be interesting yeah and and like you say it's not reinventing anything it's it's really very clearly referencing those kind of collectathon platformers but it just <clears> tweaks <throat> the formula just enough to be something that makes you go no this is really well considered yeah and there's kind of a, a bit to this that just feels like its own thing as much as it's very clearly drawing inspiration from places we recognize it's it's a good time yeah i like it, it is it is how far did you get in it probably not as far as you because you're a machine but um you know an hour or two i probably played not loads, yeah. loads. <laughs> yeah <laughs> so over to you chris tell me all about mo astray i've forgotten all about it mo astray now i remember you talking about mo astray and at the time, just not being able to really picture it at all. Mm. I don't know why. Like sometimes games, you sort of give a description of it. It's very hard to visualize what it is. And I didn't Google it at the time. And it just, 
disappeared from memory. And I think I just assumed it was probably a 2D pixel art Metroidvania type thing because you play a lot of those. <laughs> so I thought I sort of just went, okay, well, you know, it is what it is and, and moved on with my life. So what a pleasant <laughs> surprise it was that when I am now playing it, yes, it is 2D. It does have a pixel style. It does have some Metroidvania elements, but it's actually a very different kettle of the proverbial because it's a platform game, really, kind of, you know, a, a 2D platform game. You're a strange sentient blob. You move along either by inching left and right using the left analog stick or by hurling yourself upwards or, or off in a direction into the sky by aiming with the right stick and then using a trigger to launch yourself. And then if you hit a wall, you stick. And the majority of the traversal in this game is about moving from surface to surface to overcome obstacles. What I liked about this pretty much straight away, I could tell within the first 10 minutes, is that contrary to the Metroidvania format, this is not really a game about backtracking. Mm. You know, you can revisit earlier stages and levels to search for collectibles you may have missed. But instead, any abilities you gain, which might modify your jump, say, or allow you to control a secondary blob in parallel to help you solve some puzzles across different planes, they're then just part of your arsenal to solve oncoming challenges, not to kind of go back and remember where something was necessarily. Yeah, This is essentially how platform games have always worked. You know, you go back to the Mega Drive, you weren't often going backwards. And like you mentioned, even when you played Quackshot, it wasn't something really that you were going, mm. oh, I remember that little block, so I need to, you know, worm my way back there. It's just, you know, you do levels in a slightly different order, maybe. But with this sort of steadily ramping challenge, I really liked that, you know, we've had this glut of Metroidvania-themed games for the best part of the last decade. Yeah. And it was just refreshing for it to go forwards. It was, yeah. it was a game about kind of like just making your way through something and not having to use that part of my brain that was like, well, where did I see that collectible I didn't quite get? Or where was that little block I couldn't pass? Like, I, I just, I'm not always in the mood for that. It's one of the things that kind of puts me off those games a lot of the time. Now, visually is where this game really shines. I think pixel artists have been pushing the form for years now with kind of higher fidelity art being bolstered even further by the ability these days to have complex lighting models essentially applied over the top of a 2D game. Mm. And Basically, retro-inspired 2D pixel games have never looked as good as they have in the last few years because people are not being forced to work just with the colour, sprite, or resolution limits of older machines. You know, you can do literally whatever you want, and it's fine. And Moa Stray, I think, is a real shining example of just how far you can push the form because despite it having a very calm, ethereal opening, I don't know if you remember just like slithering and inching mm. along cool reflective pools under a sort of dark moonlight, the eventual horror and violence it's able to push out and convey just like 20 minutes later. And then for pretty much the duration of the game is, is quite insane. Like <laughs> a while back, I, I played a bit of the game Carrion where oh, you're controlling the horrible lab monster wreaking havoc on all the scientists around you. I almost set you that instead of mine, actually. <laughs> so, yeah. And as good as that game looked, it somehow didn't quite capture the quieter Cronenbergian body horror that I think Mo manages. Mm. because you're moving through these labs, but after disaster rather than during. You're not causing the carnage. It's something that's happened. So it's closer, I guess, to something like Half-Life in that you're negotiating past people that are already dead or people that have been transformed by unknown alien things. And in Carrion, you were pushing the horror along in a sort of power fantasy way. But here you're reflecting what's already happened and being fed snippets of narrative either via end-of-chapter comics or stage narration or found logs. And it's pretty compelling it's got a, a nice story to it the most important ability for your little blob in this game is being able to take control of other creatures 
by latching onto their heads. And the art here, again, I think is brilliantly sweet and savoury, I'd say, because you've got these shambling corpses or abominations that you're driving along and they themselves look disgusting. (laughs) (laughs) Even made out of pixels, they are gruesome. Mm. But your blob has this nice little simple smiley face (laughs) and it replaces their head as if they're wearing like a little paper bag with a face drawn on it. (laughs) Yeah. And puzzles often need you to move these NPCs into different locations to aid your own movement or use that particular NPC's unique movement abilities to traverse an area you'd otherwise not be able to get to, or maybe to manipulate switches that you can't access as the blob alone. And I think it's a really cool way to give you access to area-specific abilities and to solve area-specific challenges without giving you infinite power. Because then once you've lost that character, once you've moved on, you're on your own again. You're, You're trying to work out how to get between spaces without having that additional help. The Metroidvania school generally would say, now you can access these switches and let you kind of roll along with all your new power. But I really liked how in Moa Strait, it comes with that caveat that, you know, you can access these switches as long as you manipulate and maneuver a creature first. So it's not that the power is taken away. It's just the ability in the then and there is kind of pulled back just for a bit. So all these things become like keys as opposed to just outright solutions for the rest of the game. For me, that's kept each of the little micro challenges feeling quite fresh even when there are some really punishing sections where it's like, you know, it's taking me 30 goes now, getting a bit frustrated, but you know that the next scene is going to be just a bit different. Mm. It's got a good sense of light and shade as, as you go through, that you have these kind of peaks and troughs of a little simple section, a little simple puzzle, a little jumping section, a little combat encounter. There's, there's bits that jump around to kind of give you a good variety. When you're attached to the head of a creature, you can also reap one of the game's two collectibles. So in this world, there are hidden fragments that are used to provide story flashbacks and life buffs, and they're kind of just hidden in little alcoves and stuff around stages. But from latching on to other monsters, creatures, whatever, you can gleam memories by kind of honing in on their brains, I suppose. And these are essentially the game's audio logs. So they're not audio, but used in that same way that it's like a bit of information scattered around a stage. And it just gives you a little bit of flavor text about maybe the creature's pre-transformation life, or reflections on their current predicament and how unpleasant it is to be a stinky, shambling mess. And these are then logged in a menu that, frustratingly so far, have told me that I've missed about a billion creatures that (laughs) apparently I (laughs) neglected to scan or I just missed entirely because the routes have taken three levels. Luckily, though, as I alluded to, this is not a game about backtracking, but it is a game where you can replay from earlier checkpoints, presumably to help fill these inventory gaps Mm. if you wish to. And with all that said, it's a really great game. <laughs> you know, I've, I've said that I played three games in my What Have You Been Playing This Week that were great. This is another one. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> games are pretty solid, aren't they? <laughs> like, it's really polished. It's got a really unique flavor and style to it. It does feel kind of different from other games. It does a huge amount with its art and aesthetic choices that I just wasn't expecting at all. And it's really interesting to read as well. It's apparently the first game developed by a Taiwanese team called Arch Prey. And the first game as well, published by another Taiwanese company called Rayarch, who I do know about because for the longest time, they focused entirely on developing and putting out their own rhythm games, Ah. many of which I've really enjoyed on mobile and now on Switch. So if you've ever heard about games like Demo or Citus, there's a few of those that have kind of done the rounds on, you know, quite big publications. Because again, early on the Switch's life wasn't that much to play and there was a lot Mm. of Rayarch games. (laughs) They're really good. They're really good games. If Moa Stray marks the beginning of their third party publishing arc, I'm really excited to see which other Thai properties could be localized because Mm. this is a really solid game and one that will absolutely have flown under most people's radars. 
in five years, this will be on those kind of YouTube video rundowns titled things like Nintendo eShop Hidden Gems or the sort of 10 games you must pick up for your Steam Deck too. Like they, it will yeah. be, it will yeah. be. Rightly so. Hey, rightly so, rightly so. But it's, it's always, it's sad in a way because when you have those hidden gems, it means that they weren't given the love they deserved when they were out, you know, yeah. contemporaneously. That's a hard mm. word to say. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it's a remarkably polished title. It expands on the platform genre in some really interesting ways. And overall, liked it a lot. So we both played... Fucking bangers. Good games. Fantastic. <laughs> Fantastic. Let's do something about that. And, say, <laughs> and lay, down, lay down our next challenge. And I'm going to kick this off. Right. <laughs> going by the rule that we kind of set, we're going to try and alternate between more yep. modern games and more retro games. So I'm setting you uh, for your next retro challenge. I'm actually going to set you a little twofer. Yeah. And it's a prehistoric twofer at that. Oh dear. <laughs> because Chris. I'm sending you to Jurassic Park. Um, <laughs> that's right. My okay. 100th favourite video game of all time was Jurassic Park on the Game Still Boy. Still on the list. And I refuse to make it budge, no matter how many better games were falling off the bottom of my list last season in my yeah. amendments. But I'm actually not setting you the Game Boy one, although feel free to play that if you wish. Instead, I'm going to set to you the NES version, which is exactly the same game, okay. but it's in colour. So it's okay. a little more ja- a okay. little more jazzy. <laughs> the game is, is, is a very basic game. Uh, each level is based around the same concept of hunting down a set amount of dinosaur eggs and avoiding dinosaur uh, I think <laughs> I think it stands as a really interesting example of movie tie-in game from that era before yeah. those games were just essentially quick time events going through set pieces from a blockbuster film it had to look at the film look at what was capable on the tech available and make the best of it and I think it's really successful in that. It feels like Jurassic Park to me. It's got that sense of peril and survival and thrill and adventure and a banging soundtrack by my namesake. Oh, yeah. Jonathan Dunn. Jonathan Dunn. I did have a play of this recently to see how it holds up, which is why I'm also setting you a second game. <laughs> <laughs> And the other game I'm setting you is the other Jurassic Park game that I had as a kid. And that is the Lost World Jurassic Park on the Sega Saturn. Jeez. Okay. We're jumping all over the place. All right. Yeah, we are. Yeah, we are. Now, I've got some quite fond memories of that game, despite some very middling reviews. It could be that, uh, you know, my love of the franchise uh, smoothed some of the rougher edges in the game. But what I do remember is that it's a, it's, it's a 2.5D action platform game, essentially. And you have sections of the game where you play as a human a dinosaur hunter and there are also sections where you play as a dinosaur human hunter okay okay i think you start the game playing as a little compsagnathus i'm pretty sure you get to play as a raptor and a t-rex later on as well but again this is a game of a time where games were still figuring out how to do movie adaptations and also i think this was a good exploration of how to do platforming games on a 32-bit console whilst embracing 3d but not relying on it because you yeah, couldn't rely yeah. on 3d you know on a saturn for god's <laughs> sake so there we go see how we get on with those puppies okay so jurassic park and the lost world
Yes. Direct sequel. <laughs> Thank you, Michael Crichton. <laughs> this week for your retro challenge, yes. you are going to play a classic Game Boy roguelike from 1991. What the fuck? Called Cave Noir. Cave Noir? Yes, a great name. That's a good name. and That is a good name. The game never officially left Japan, but it has had a fan translation in... I say recent years, but I think it was quite a long time ago now. Mm. There is a good chance I've already copied the English version across to your Steam Deck when we set up your emulation station. It is a strange game, but it's one I've actually played quite a lot over the years because it's simplistic, but a lot of its challenge comes from inventory management, which is quite a kind of interesting way of, of having to approach a roguelike. And I just think it's really quite elegantly designed to make the most of very limited hardware but actually it's a very deep and compelling game. And I really hope you get a kick out of it because I think it's I think it's a good time. I'm absolutely fascinated to play this. I've just thrown up a few screenshots here. I mean, I'm all about Game Boy trying to do things that it yeah. really can't or shouldn't be able to. You know, yes. Facebook 2000. Love it. Warlocked. That's been on my list of maybe setting for you to try and beat in early. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. So watch out for that in the future. I remember emulating it and and getting on with it you know yeah it's clunky but good i think mm. but uh yeah roguelike i mean obviously it's a it's a genre that I never heard of when we started this podcast and now defines me as a gamer <laughs> absolutely live for it absolutely live for it so yeah cave noir fantastic fantastic so there we go that was our Fortnite challenge report uh, yep. very very good to uh, discuss unbox newbies adventure and Mo Astray. Oh yeah, and I'm super excited to see how Cave Noir is, and I'm very excited to hear <laughs> how uh, how Chris gets on in Jurassic Park. Oh, I love the dinosaurs. You can stay tuned for that in two weeks' time. Next week we will be offering our latest Playdate update, and we're going to be talking about the latest two games released, which are Flipper Lifter and Echoic Memory. Nice names, aren't they? Very nice, very nice. Looking forward to playing those. Looking forward even more to chatting about them with you, Chris. Top stuff. If you're enjoying this episode, if you're enjoying the show, leave us a review and uh, a rating on your podcast platform of choice. That goes a long way. Share the podcast on your social media platforms. That goes a long way as well. Tag us on social media at O3C Games on everything. Go to our website, o3c.games. Have a read of our articles. Have a look at our videos. Have a listen to our old podcast episodes. And if you really want to support us, then you can go to patreon.com slash o3cgames. Pledge a few pounds and we would be so grateful. So grateful. Very, very grateful. You can reach out to us on an individual basis as well. I'm on Twitter at Jonathan Dunn. I am at Chaz underscore Hodges. And please do join us next week for a a play play date. (laughs) And now a word from our sponsor. And now a word from our sponsor. And now a word from our sponsor. SequelCast 2 and Friends looks at movies and video games and franchises one movie and game at a time. Hosted by Matt Bradley Shurgi, Thrasher, and Alex Miller, been going since 2009, and we're part of the HyperX Podcast Network. The award-winning Go Nintendo podcast is the best place to get the latest news on the world of Nintendo. We cover the biggest stories, share impressions of the latest games, and answer your burning questions. There's also some general pop culture talk, game music trivia, 
a heaping helping of silliness. And did I mention our robot companion? I'm the star of the show. Catch new episodes of the Go Nintendo Podcast every Saturday on the HyperX Podcast Network. If you're a shrewd shopper, it's about to be your favorite time of the year. HyperX will be running massive sales for the holiday season. Get up to 50% off some of our most popular products, like the Ultra Comfy Cloud 2 headset, the tough, responsive Alloy Origins mechanical keyboard, and the fan-favorite Quadcast USB microphone. Sales will be going on at all major e-tailers, but be sure to head to HyperX.com and sign up for the newsletter to get the scoop on the biggest deals. Happy holidays from HyperX.